0: Dear Father, we want to thank you for your love for us. You gave us Christ as a sacrifice, a fragrant offering pleasing to you. Lord, we don't deserve your love tonight. Even this past day, we've thought, felt, and done things which oh, we know aren't pleasing to you. We've not we've not loved others. We've been thinking about that in focus, but we've not we failed to love others as much as we could. And we're sorry, but we thank you that you you do forgive us, that you love us more than, than we love you. And So because of Christ tonight, you delight in us. By our faith in him, there's not one person here tonight who you want to push out, tell to get away. But we can all come because of him. So I pray that we'd enjoy that grace, that acceptance this evening, and that you would shape us into the people you want us to be. Amen. Okay, this is week five out of seven of Cultivate. Um, hopefully, your questions are beginning... That you, First week, there are lots of questions. Hopefully, your questions are beginning to be answered, and we're building up the picture. Um to Cultivate was how we started, the big vision to do good for the glory of God and for the good of others. The curse, work is cursed, but it's not a curse. It's fundamentally good, but it is really frustrating. Um, The heart change, when we trust in Christ, um, no longer are we doing things for ourselves, we now work and cultivate for God, we have a a reorientation of our hearts. Last time we think about skilled to love, that um, Christian work, good work, is work that loves, that we maximise as much as we can, given our opportunities, our skills, our capacities to love people. As we have been loved, as dearly loved children, so live a life of love what Ephesians 5 says, which is a big, expansive vision for our work. No matter what we're doing, whether we're employed or unemployed, we can still, in different ways, find opportunities to love, just as we've been loved, which is pretty exciting. Tonight, exiled, that shouldn't have a C in it, anyway, exiled for the common good. Exiled for the common good. That's what we're thinking about tonight. So we've got these little images, so you've The person in the middle is meant to represent us, we're doing things for God's glory, but you'll see the little people next door have, and this is in your books as well, have little arrows pointing at themselves. So we're thinking about working amongst people who are not Christians, who aren't doing things for the glory of God, but are maybe doing things themselves still with a kind of simple nature, okay? So that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. Okay, what I want you to do is imagine that you're writing a letter to a Christian friend. I know it might be hard to imagine writing a letter, because hands up if you've written a letter in the last year. All right, maybe more than... Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just me, he doesn't write letters. Anyway, so pen, paper, letters and stuff. Okay, so you've got a a Christian friend who's um, struggling at work, and um they've been coming along to cultivate it's imaginary friends so don't point at anyone um and they get the vision of cultivating of doing good of glorifying god of loving others but they're really struggling they're struggling because while they're excited about this vision to cultivate they feel so different to their team at work it's not their team are bad at their jobs They're actually very good but they can see um ways in which their colleagues aren't working for god um Maybe things like we saw in Ephesians, there isn't the respect for uh, authority, for managers, that kind of things that um, Ephesians said we should have. They're working well, but it's really clear that for some, they're really working for themselves, for their career advancement. So it means they're putting loads of time into it and they're doing a good job, but this, this friend of yours is just starting to sense around well, they really aren't just doing it ultimately for themselves. The boss can be harsh, he's not asking them to do anything that's immoral or unethical, but... There's a kind of atmosphere of kind of fear and intimidation, maybe. And they want you to give them some advice. What should they do? If they're working for God and to love others, how do they navigate working alongside people who have a different goal in their work? And how come, you know, if if God created work, the people who don't even acknowledge God can still be doing good work? How, How do we understand that? What I'd like you to do is on your tables just have two-minute discussion, throw out ideas. What would you write in the letter? What's your spontaneous thought? What advice would you give to your friend as they're feeling these things? Go for it, and then we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't <in> there. <laughs> right, uh, you're going to, we're going to be thinking more about this in the talk and in the study, so there's going to be time to, to flesh that out. Now, what your imaginary friend is feeling um, is a classic case of exile, They're feeling a classic case of exile, right? Exile is a really significant Bible theme, and it makes a lot of sense of our experience of life and within that work now in this world as Christians. Um, The big exile in the Bible happens in the Old Testament. Remember from Exodus last term. The big goal that God had in the rescue was for people to live with him in the promised land. That was the big thing that they were driving towards. But they had to keep their part of the covenant. You hopefully remember something about the covenant from Exodus, where God said, I'll be your God. And they said, yeah, we're going to obey you. But after centuries of increasing rebellion where they didn't obey God, without stubborn hearts, um, God kept his promise and had to boot them out of the land, out of the land of Israel. So they got um, taken off by the armies of Babylon away from Jerusalem, away from Israel, and so they were in exile. They were foreigners and strangers in the land of Babylon, exiles. So they, the Old Testament uh, people in exile, felt a lot like our friend. You know, things like, we're God's people, worshipping him, we've got the Ten Commandments, the law, we want to live for him, but we're living our lives in a place that doesn't feel like home. We're surrounded by people who are worshipping different gods, the gods of Babylon. They've got different values, different ways of doing things. So how are we, as God's pure people, supposed to live here in their kingdom? Should they take the kind of monk option and withdraw, put up the walls and gates and go into the little enclave? Or should they get involved in the common life of Babylon? That's the conundrum. And these are some of the questions that we're asking As Christians, because we are in exile too, we're cultivating for God, we've been seeing that vision, but amongst people who aren't cultivating for God. We're wanting to work for his glory, but we're far from home, far from the promised land, not of Israel, but of the new creation. And we can feel the pressure in different ways, and you'll talk about that more in your groups. So what do we do? Well, we're going to learn from the prophet Jeremiah, because he writes a letter to Israel in exile. And so he can help us then learn about how we live as faithful people in exile, because the New Testament takes that theme of exile, particularly in 1 Peter, which you're going to do in your studies, and develops it and says, actually, that's a theme, that's something we experience too. So we're going to learn about how we wait and live while we're waiting for the new creation. So please turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 on page 789. And don't forget there's space in your books to write notes if that would help you. Okay, Jeremiah chapter twenty nine and verse four. Jeremiah twenty nine verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. There you go. Here's what God says to them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners, diviners among you um, deceive you. Um, do not listen to the dreams you, um, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So Jeremiah calls the people of exile to do two things. Here's the first thing. Cultivate for the common, common good. Cultivate for the common good. God, in this letter, calls to his people who are far from home to make this their home. Make Babylon your home. Now remember who the Babylonians were. They were their captors. They came in, trashed Jerusalem, took them off, and they were their enemies. These were not their buddies who they were living alongside. See, our workmates might not love Jesus, but they haven't taken us off into captivity, and they're not our enemies in that way. And yet, the call from God is for the Israelites to live positively amongst their captors. They go. They're to go on living a normal life, and it's very kind of cultivation language. Um, just have a look back again at verse five. This is basically a call to go work and cultivate. Right, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Work, cultivate the land, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give them to marry. You know, be fruitful, build houses, plant gardens, eat fruit, have babies, increase. Don't decrease. So houses built in Babylon aren't a waste of time. Vineyards planted in Babylon aren't inherently kind of dirty and wicked and sinful. Life is still life and it needs living fruitfully wherever God's people find themselves. That's what God's saying to them. And there is a vision very much for the common good. That's why we've called tonight Exiled for the Common Good. Not just look, not only looking out for the good of God's people. Do you see that in verse 7? Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says, seek the good of the city, the place of Babylon. And the Jews, you can imagine going, but this is the place of exile, the place of our enemies. And God says, yeah, that city, the one I, the one I took you to. So the israelites firstly are to want the peace of the city that means they want everyone to be able to get on with their lives and live in harmony together that's what they're to want they're not meant to launch some kind of military assault to take down the empire of babylon god will take care of that himself later and so for us as christians we're not to work against the thriving of our culture we're not seeking to establish in london some kind of christian empire christianity isn't weaponized to take down the government. Christians should be the most passionate about having a peaceful and stable government. Christians should make the best political advocates because we care about the common good and the peace of our city and our country. So that's seeking the peace of the city. They should seek also the prosperity of the city. They're to cultivate with their work, build the economy, make the city money, produce food, make clothes, sell things, buy things. The whole shebang of work and economy and stuff. Just because these people who you're living with don't worship God doesn't mean you create, again, your own little Israelite enclave where you keep all your money, your food and your skills to yourself. God says, now get involved. So do you see the implications for us? Don't hold back in your work, don't hold back in doing business, making money for your non-Christian boss and the owner of the company. We shouldn't feel guilty if we're not working for a Christian NGO or something. Just because we're working for a non-Christian company It doesn't make it inherently bad. No, go, seek the prosperity. Do you think that when Israelites tried to do business with Babylonians, there may have been clash of ethics, different moral standards, probably? Do you think that the Babylonians may have even made it hard for the Jews? They were, after all, the kind of slaves, the captors. Yeah, probably. They probably mistreated them in some ways. But that didn't mean, because of those challenges, that they were then to retreat, and neither should we. So you seek the peace of the city, seek the prosperity of the city, and then verse 7, even more... Pray for God to bless the city of the Babylonians. Think about the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're asking God to prosper our city. Give us today our daily bread is a prayer for the success of Sainsbury's. You are praying that Sainsbury's will be prosperous enough to keep running and to have bread on the shelf for when you go to buy it. Bread doesn't just land on your plate, it comes from somewhere, from God. You're praying, Lord, thank you for this food, please provide food. You're praying that the farmer is going to have a good crop and make enough money to have another crop next year, so next year we can still buy bread. We're so um, detached in our modern age from the kind of process of food that it's we, we forget that when we pray for these things, we're asking God to keep so many links in the chain going. I mean, spend I mean, poor Rosie, right, my daughter, she's growing up thinking that literally there's the food just appears at our door because we order from Sainsbury's. So the food man brings food. Is it the food man? She shouts as they ring the door. And so for her, she doesn't even go to the shop. The, food, the food's just like there, into the fridge, onto her plate. So she has no sense of the process. But when we pray, God, thank you for this food. Lord, please give us what we need. We're praying for the prosperity of the city, of the economy, of of our land. It's godly. Now, the Bible then, just to sum this up, kind of encourages us to have this positive stance towards our society. We're not to retreat, we're not to do the bare minimum to contribute to society, we're to be fully signed up, fully contributing workers who seek the common good of those around us. And so we might feel frustrated working alongside unbelievers who maybe are doing things for a different reason or even in a different way that is, causes tension for us. Uh, maybe it's just their motives, their methods compared to the Bible. We should embrace it as a good thing to work alongside unbelievers, even if it's tough. We're exiled, but for the common good. And you know what? This really helps us um, celebrate when uh, unbelievers are, are just really good at what they do. You know, are you the de facto the best at your job because you're a Christian? Because you've got this cultivation vision? Probably not. You're probably not the best person at your job just because you're a Christian. Being a Christian should drive you to be better, to want to do good, to want to glorify God, love people. You know what? God is just so kind to the whole of his creation. He gives skills and gifts to workers everywhere, even this is how loving God is even when they maybe don't even acknowledge God exists, he still gives prosperity. He still gives gifts. Isn't he kind? We are exiled, and Jeremiah calls God's people to cultivate for the common good. So that's the first thing, the kind of positive vision. Second thing from the letter. Oh, that is good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't get too cosy. I mean, who does animations on PowerPoint anyway? Don't get too cosy is the second point. Don't get too cosy. Cultivate for the common good. Good, but don't get too cosy. Have a look again at verse ten to fourteen. This is what the Lord says: When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfil my good promise to bring you back to this place, back to the land of Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you'll call on me. And come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God says, make this place your home, but don't get too cosy because you're not staying here forever. And where you're going is going to be even better. So God promised, you see, that the exile would have a set amount of time, 70 years. And then God himself would come and take them home. And the plans to prosper them. That's a fridge magnet verse, isn't it? I have plans to prosper you. It's like, here's the context. That's fun, isn't it? The plans to prosper is saying, I'm going to take you out of exile to this beautiful future back in the land where you're going to be back with me in the land flowing with milk and honey. And no longer will there be this painful distance between God and his people, between their identity as God's people and their experience of his blessing, which is kind of torn apart in exile. Instead, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you see, it's it's a really beautiful future that God's promising them, a really hopeful future, better than what's going on in exile. So there's this tension. They're encouraged to make this place their home, but then they're reminded that one day they'll be fully home. Seek prosperity now, but I have plans to prosper you, in the future when you're home and it's the same for us as christians the bible has a deep and positive vision for now as redeemed people living for the glory of god loving others cultivating for the common good be good employers all of that employees but also the bible says to us don't settle down not permanently this isn't your real home paul talks about in philippians living as citizens of heaven even while we're citizens of london because the place, and remember this from week one, the place where we'll really cultivate fruitfully, where we'll live with God and we'll flourish like you couldn't dream If work and flourishing, is the new creation. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And there is a set time when Jesus is going to return and we'll be taken away from our time of exile now to be with him in the new creation. So what difference does knowing that that's our future hope make to how we approach work now? Our work isn't us constructing a new creation. It's it's really important to know that. Our work now isn't us building some kind of new creation. It's temporary. It's frustrating. It's not ultimate. Which means, one, cheer up. Cheer up. If your work doesn't feel like it's achieving much prosperity now, don't worry about it. Because that will come perfectly and fully in the new creation. If your work doesn't feel like it's producing heaven on earth don't worry about it it's not supposed to only christ the king can produce heaven on earth and he will do so cheer up don't worry but it also means calm down calm down if your work seems to be doing loads for the common good and making some serious prosperity whether that's money or in health or in entertainment don't get too excited about that you think that this is flourishing you haven't seen anything yet God will bring blessing, like like I said, like you wouldn't dream when He returns. You will not redeem all things. Your NGO, your company, will not usher in the end of poverty or bring equal and unlimited prosperity to all. But I know someone who will bring that. His name is Jesus, and He's coming back one day. It's not you, not now. So don't put your heart and your hope into the success and contribution you make now. Keep your eyes on the future. Keep pouring energy into getting yourself and others into that new creation. So there's this dual vision to do good, to throw ourselves into the common life of our work, of our society. And at the same time, don't settle down. Don't get too cosy. Because true cultivation and true flourishing is coming in the new creation okay let's pray dear father we want to thank you for this letter from jeremiah but ultimately from you to your people thank you that you're so realistic about life that you get the tension we might feel that you don't call us to be so heavenly minded minded that we're of no earthly use But you want us to do good now. You have plans for us now. You have a vision for us and your spirit is with us to help us do good. So I pray that we'd embrace that. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling to embrace doing good now, of really throwing ourselves in now, I I pray that you'd encourage us with what Jeremiah said. Um, But I pray also that we wouldn't settle down too much. Lord Jesus calls us to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. I pray that that would be where our heart is. And thank you that one day we will all enjoy the fruit of your new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.